Christianity alone has felt that God, to be holy God, must have been a rebel as well as a king. Alone of all creeds, Christianity has added courage to the virtues of the Creator. For the only courage worth calling courage must necessarily mean that the soul passes a breaking point and does not break. In a garden, Satan tempted man, and in a garden, God tempted God. He passed in some superhuman manner through our human horror of pessimism. When the world shook and the sun was wiped out of heaven, it was not at the crucifixion, but at the cry from the cross, the cry which confessed that God was forsaken of God. And now let the revolutionists choose a creed from all the creeds and a god from all the gods of the world, carefully weighing all the gods of inevitable recurrence and of unalterable power. They will not find another god who has himself been in revolt. Nay, the matter grows too difficult for human speech, but let the atheists themselves choose a god. They will find only one divinity who ever uttered their isolation, only one religion in which God seemed for an instant to be an atheist. Welcome to Pints with Chesterton, a podcast where two millennial women dive into the wonderful and whimsical works of Gilbert Keith Chesterton. I am Marie. And I'm Grace. Today we are talking about Orthodoxy Chapter 8, The Romance of Orthodoxy. Marie, how are you? I'm doing really well. I'm happy to see you. You too. How are you doing? I'm good. good. It's early well it's not that early I guess on a Saturday morning so I am drinking on what's today December 18th when we're recording an iced coffee beautiful because alas I live in Louisiana and it's getting to 80 degrees today (laughs) oh my gosh Grace sent me a text a day or two ago and it was just a screenshot of their weather in Louisiana and it was I think 80 degrees on it it was 80 degrees and she goes what What's the situation up there? 28, I think, is what I sent back. Um, (laughs) But to be honest, I don't know what's happened to me, but I'm fine. Like, that's great. I, the cold does not bother me the way that it used to before. I, the cold never bothered (laughs) me anyway. Oh my God. I actually kind of hate Frozen, but my godson last night is like, he's decided that he's obsessed with it. And he was running around the house in his underwear with my friend's scarf and singing Let It Go at the top of his lungs, completely in heat. He's three. It was amazing. I was like, wow, this kid can sing. I think every kid goes through a phase. If they're allowed to hear that song, they go through a phase where they love that song. Definitely. And I think that my friends are definitely regretting yeah, it. Right I know. Well, Alexander, my son, um, He's been laughing for about a month now, like here and there, if I tickle him. And (laughs) it's very cute. He kind of like sounds like a little squeaky toy or something. But (laughs) last night was so fun because we went to a wedding. He did pretty well. We were able to go to the reception for a little bit. And then we brought him home and he laughed at me laughing for the first time. Like oh my gosh, I wasn't really, so you know, like prompting it anyway. Like he was just looking at me laughing and laughing, which was hilarious. David and I were talking about how special it is to have a child and how it's so confusing to us when people get married and they're not open to life because mm. it's just this overflowing joy and love yeah. that just like bursts forth when you have a child. And it feels like you're the love that you have for each other is doing what it's meant to do when it brings Mm. this beautiful person into the world. So that's that's what I've been up to this week, I guess, (laughs) (laughs) listening to my baby laugh. Oh, I love it. We kind of wrapped up with finals here at the college that I work on on the campus of. And so everything's kind of winding down for Christmas and just kind of looking ahead to the next semester and things like that. So um, but yeah, it's been good. Yeah, I actually just got in the mail a collection of 
poems of Chesterton's poems and I'm really excited because it's been on my Amazon wish list for like a year awesome <laughs> and I finally was like dang it I just need to buy that for myself that is so awesome and I'm super excited about it because I just love in general I'm a poetry person I really like poetry um and so Chesterton's has just like what little I've read of it has blown me away and so I'm just really excited mm. to kind of dive into that and work my way through that book so maybe we'll so. have to do some more poetry episodes oh yeah coming for sure coming after we're we are almost done with orthodoxy this is the penultimate I know, chapter it's exciting I have been I think kind of reading the same things that I mentioned on the last episode just continuing to enjoy them so I won't talk about them again but good reading <laughs> happening over here and I think I think one thing is that we will um well, I will at least, and I'll see if David wants to join me. But I like to try to read a Christmas carol around me this too. time of year. Oh, that's awesome. Me too. Maybe we can talk about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. That um, would be fun. Because I do. I started listening to the audio version of it a few years ago, and it's so short. It's easy to get through, mm -hmm. you know, real quick. So I usually listen to it when I'm home on Christmas break. Yeah. My um, When I was a teacher, I taught literature and a good teacher friend of mine, Stephanie, she gifted me um, this really beautiful red and gold bound A Christmas Carol for Christmas one year. And um, I have enjoyed reading it ever since. So this chapter today is awesome. And mm -hmm. there's a lot to talk about. As I read it again um, this week, I realized how many connections he makes to past chapters. I think it's really cool because you can see his train of thought and you can follow it. I think I guess that's why is it isn't it Dale Alquist that wrote the book called The Complete Thinker mm -hmm. about Chesterton? Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a very apropos um, like title for mm -hmm. him or whatever because he just he really does consider an idea from every possible angle that he can yes. and kind of keeps thinking about it and keeps pondering it and I think I can relate to that on some level just like you kind of have these ideas or maybe I don't know maybe it's just me but I I feel like I have these ideas that are kind of stewing around in my mind and I'm like continuously contemplating them and yes um it's it's for me so much more long term than just like kind of month to month or whatever. Yeah. It's kind of like year to year. Like, oh, what were you contemplating last year? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And it's like the whole year I was hey. contemplating this one nothing, thing. There's nothing that was wrong kind of with like that. Flowing in and out and like, you know. Yeah. And I feel like he does that and then it comes out in everything that he writes and everything that he talks about. Yeah. We've talked about this before, like in poetry, in prose, in fiction, and like mm. whatever. It's like all these things you can kind of keep drawing these connections. And I think that that is the mark of someone who is actually taking these concepts seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's truly passionate that, about this. Yeah. One of the things that he talks about in the chapter is in the very beginning of the chapter is um, how people will use all these big words and they'll use all these philosophical ideas and they'll just kind of chatter on and rattle mm. them off, but they don't really know what they yes. mean or actually believe them, yes. you know? And, and I'm like, he really does do the opposite of that, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Let's, let's jump into that first idea. Chesterton says, it's easier to say a long sentence with a bunch of philosophical terms, not really talking about any real people or places or events. It's mm -hmm. harder to take a stand and make a de decisive statement about something. And the example he gives is, I would like so-and-so to go to jail and I would like Brown to determine how, you know, when he comes out, he calls us to be decisive or he says Christianity calls us to be decisive, right? Mm. What were your thoughts mm. on that, Grace? I, yeah, I just thought it was, I thought it was really relatable. Um, it's a lot easier to write something long than it is to write something short, mm. at least for me, mm. and actually say something. <laughs> um, yeah. So he he was talking about like laziness. He's like, uh, in truth, the chief mark of our epoch is that how you say that? Mm -hmm. I feel like I should know that. Okay, I think um, so. I profound mean, I say epoch. Epoch. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> is a profound. It's like I read this word all the time and I know what it yeah. means, but I don't know how to say it. Um, is a profound laziness and fatigue. Yeah. And the fact that the real laziness is the cause of the apparent bustle. It's like we look around our, our world and everything looks seems busy. very frantic mm. and busy, but it's really a result of our laziness. Um, and it's the same thing with writing and speaking. It's like when we, we say a lot of words, a lot of times it's easier to just kind of like rattle on or whatever, but not, not as easy to actually pinpoint what we mean and say it very briefly. And I, it reminded me of my favorite high school teacher. Uh, when I was in high school, she was an English teacher and maybe I've mentioned this before. Mm -hmm. I don't know. She had the brevity award in our class. Um, and it was hilarious because it was like this medal that hung on the wall over a picture of Dickens for the irony mm. because Dickens was not brief um, and would like have sentences that were like a mile yeah. long. You know? Not brief, but um, brilliant. Yes, brilliant, but just not brief. But um, but she would have us write our vocabulary tests um, where we had all these words that we had to learn each week. And then she would just for the test like we would have a blank piece of paper and she would say the word and we had to write a sentence Mm -hmm. using the word correctly Mm -hmm. and in the sentence kind of showing that we knew what the word meant right using context Um, in the sentence right Mm. and so it was like kind of several things going on in our brain about like okay how do I convey that I know what this word means by using it properly in a sentence but then on top of that this wasn't for points but she would give the brevity award each week to somebody who had a sentence that was just like super punchy and just like got right to the point but like made the word like come alive in the sentence I love it um and so that's what it made me think of is that that took so much more work Mm. to like really contemplate what something means and express it in a way that was um piercing yeah you know? I have a so, I have a brother who's a lawyer yeah he <laughs> helped me one time um I've I've had one horrible job in my life um the rest wonderful and all of the wonderful ones know who they are um but <laughs> he was helping me basically resign from this horrible job and I sent him a an email and I said this is what I'm thinking of saying to my boss at the time and we whittled it down and whittled it down and he helped me be more precise and (laughs) it was just such a bad situation and so so ridiculous but in the end what I emailed was I resign effective immediately (laughs) I'm not kidding I sent him probably four paragraphs of you know this is what I think about this this is why I'm you know whatever and he was he's just so he's got such a talent and and a knowledge of of the responsibility you incur when you say certain things but anyway yeah I resign effective immediately period my name that was it love it (laughs) I think Chesterton is hilarious in this part I mean he's always hilarious let's be real but um, the part where he gave an example of a sentence that rattles on, he says like long words can go rattling by us like long railway trains. Yes. And then later he says, you can go on talking like that for hours with hardly a movement of gray matter inside your skull. <laughs> and the sentence that he gives is the social utility of the indeterminate sentence is recognized by all criminologists yes. as a part of our sociological evolution towards a more human and scientific view of punishment. Yeah. And I was just like cracking up. Yeah. Like that's so true. People can just like, like makeup crap you know <laughs> totally totally it's like let's string together a bunch of words that sound impressive and see if we're mm. actually saying anything it reminded me of like when we were reading man alive um dr pym yes kind of like go on yes. and on and on Pym is well <laughs> he's like haven't you noticed yeah. that like man alive is the novel of it the really novel version of orthodoxy it's mm-hmm. like every totally. idea that he talks about in orthodoxy, if you haven't read Man Alive, go read Man Alive. And it's like a very fun novel form of it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So something that um, Chesterton talks a lot about in this chapter is modern liberals, basically. And, and that doesn't mean in the uh, sense of the word that we have for it today. he's talking Mm -hmm. about thinkers who believe that they're more free by their progressive Mm -hmm. and modernist ways of Mm -hmm. thinking. 
they're allegedly concerned with liberty yes yeah yes like which is why liberal freedom yes he he talks about how these liberals claim like they claim to be very free and they claim to be concerned with freedom um but they seem to always have problems with the church and they want to bring their freedom quote unquote to the church but it would actually destroy the church what they propose I'd like to read a little quote from this beginning section on liberals. In actual modern Europe, a free thinker does not mean a man who thinks for himself. It means a man who, having thought for himself, has come to one particular class of conclusions, the material origin of phenomena, the the impossibility, excuse me, of miracles, the improbability of personal immortality, and so, so on. And he says that, it seems that they mainly concern themselves with this disbelief in miracles and um, in the basically the supernatural elements of the church. And I mm-hmm. thought that was so interesting that like these people going to such great lengths to prove that miracles could not be true or mm-hmm. that these like wonderful things that are a part of the the Orthodox faith are improbable. Yeah, I think his his point is like, Again, you know, Chesterton putting his finger on a paradox that you start out claiming that you want people to have the freedom to think for themselves, right? Which is a great thing. Mm -hmm. Like people should think for themselves. Um, But the problem is the the same people who often advocate for this um, end up basically clamping down very hard on a dogma. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just it happens to be not the dogma of the church. Right, right. <laughs> you know, it's like a different one, but it's like it's still a dogma. So they'll they'll rail against the church mm-hmm. for having dogmas and doctrines and having any sort of structure. Yeah. But they have a structure that's almost more um, imposing. Yes. You know, even than the church's structure. Yeah. And so that's kind of the paradox is he's like saying that a lot of people who who say that they want freedom mm-hmm. are actually in practice. um imposing oppression yeah um yeah. on other people it's basically like if you're going to be a free thinker you have to think like us yeah <laughs> like, yeah no, yeah exactly that doesn't make sense yeah you know yeah he says almost every contemporary proposal to bring freedom into the church is simply a proposal to bring tyranny into the world uh, mm. and and then he says for freeing the church now does not even mean freeing it in all directions it's very inconsistent we're free thinkers you must think the way that we think. And it's mm-hmm. it's a tyranny of sorts, you know, to mm-hmm. claim that. I thought it was funny when he said, I may, it is true, twist orthodoxy so as partly to justify a tyrant, but I can easily make up a German philosophy to justify him entirely. <laughs> 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 I thought that was so good yeah. because it's true. It's like, it's like, yeah, there's definitely been circumstances where tyrants, you know, who he's using tyrants here, I think, as like a a very physical, concrete example of oppression. Right. right? So, um, so this idea of like free thinking and oppression and whatever, it's like um, people have twisted Christianity, have mm-hmm. twisted orthodoxy to justify tyrants. Um, but he's saying that's exactly the point. Like they had to twist it in order to do yeah. that. They had to take it not fully, not as only the true philosophy that it is, not as what it actually yeah. is saying. And it's like, if you actually look at what it's saying in its totality, it would do the opposite of justifying the tyrant. Mm. It would actually pull the it would tyrant condemn, down. From yeah. His throne. It would condemn it. Right. But if you don't have that orthodoxy, if you don't have that philosophy, um, then you can justify anything. Mm hmm you know Mm -hmm. um and it's much easier to justify uh an oppressor you know when you don't even have to be beholden at all to any semblance of orthodoxy yeah um so i I just felt that that was really applicable and relatable um i don't know i feel like a lot of when i was teaching high school there was a lot of i was teaching religion you know so we were talking about these things and there's a lot of students who they would get very um upset i guess like they they would be the the ones who were more skeptics or whatever that wanted to deny the church um and they would talk to me so much about the hypocrisy of christians mm. um mm. which is fair right but intellectually speaking it was like <laughs> i would be like okay so you believe that christians are bad because 
they don't follow Christianity. So you believe in Christianity <laughs> that they so should follow. So you're using like you Christianity as a moral yeah. baseline, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And so, and I think they, they weren't able to kind of see that, you know, mm. that it was like, it was like, you wouldn't care if Christians were hypocrites, if you didn't believe that Christians should act like Christians. Yes. Like if you didn't believe that Christianity was yes. something worth acting like, you know? Um, and I feel like this is similar that, you know, again, it's possible to twist orthodoxy just as it is to, to be a hypocrite, mm-hmm. you know, as a Christian, but that doesn't deny the truth of orthodoxy or of Christianity. Well, and, and it's very interesting because he talks about that later uh, near the end of the chapter. Um, he talks about, how there's this contingent of people who really want to go to bat against the church and they'll they'll do anything to try to destroy Mm. the church and its argument or not its arguments its beliefs and he Mm. says it's so funny like god is not injured by Mm. uh people who act destructive or inconsistent or you know like God is not hurt by what they're doing, but they may destroy people and things around them. Um, and then he, mm. and then Chesterton makes the point, you know, if you truly don't believe that there's a God, then why, yeah. who why are you struggling? <laughs> yeah, why? Who are you struggling yeah. against? Um, if yeah. you just think I people love- are being delusional in believing in God, then what is the point of this? Go ahead. Sorry. Absolutely. I just no. you're fine. I, I just loved just reiterating what you were saying. I love the line. Um, he g- kind of goes on and on about that. And then he goes, and yet the thing hangs in the heavens unheard. Yes. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's like people are railing against God. People are saying all these horrible things, you know, whatever. But then he's like, but in the, at the end of the day, like it doesn't deny the <laughs> validity that he's yes. there and that it, things are the way that they are, yeah. you know, um, this kind of, that kind of takes me into another idea that I want to I want to talk to about this chapter that I think is so beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, this chapter is called the Romance of Orthodoxy, and mm-hmm. um, I think Chesterton means romance in the sense of it being an adventure, of it being mm-hmm. exciting, mm-hmm. of it being dangerous, dangerous of it, um, of it having the possibility of being lost. All of these other religions like Buddhism or um, or even non-religious people, they find life to be scientific and already determined. And then he talks mm. about how what preserves romance and adventure in Christianity mm. and orthodoxy is free will. Mm. And... Um, Anyway, I wanted to I wanted to hear your thoughts on his he says that it's the theological free will that preserves the story of Christianity. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I when I read that, I was like, exactly. (laughs) I was like so excited Um, because I feel like I've thought a lot about that. Like I thought a lot about free will and kind of the you know, again, back to my students, a lot of my students would get really bent out of shape about free will and like not believing that there was free will or something. And you hear that from people who deny Christianity and you also hear that from Christians. And Mm -hmm. Chesterton talks about that, the sort of more Calvinist idea um, of theology, which denies free will. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I think that a lot of the kind of polarization in our world today, I've talked a lot about this with my friend, Father Ryan, um, who is just like brilliant. And he thinks about these things um, all the time. But he was he he and I were talking about how there's this polarization between, you know, Christianity or there seems to be between Christianity and between people who are more, you know, quote unquote scientific, mm-hmm. you know, and he is saying how like all this comes down to the question of freedom and free will, you know, and that it makes sense that those two would be polar opposites if they're kind of denying that humans have free will. And Chesterton kind of puts it pithily, I guess he says the Catholic church believed that man and God both had a sort of spiritual freedom. Calvinism took away the freedom from man, Mm. but left it to God. Um, Scientific materialism binds the creator himself. It chains up God as the apocalypse chained the devil. Mm. It leaves nothing free in the universe. And those who assist this process are called liberal theologians. Um, But he he's basically 
saying it's so necessary um and it's it's this great mystery how free will can exist in man and in god Mm. um but this idea that god is not oppressive Mm. like we tend to imagine him and i think some christians who would deny free will on some level do believe that Mm. god is oppressive Mm. but they call it good Mm. you know um and the atheists or materialists who would deny that like may say you know your idea of god is a tyrant Mm. therefore we should reject him and assert our will over his you know or this like idea of his will um and then the catholic is like wait and, and many other Christians too are like, wait a minute. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. These two things exist together. I don't know. I'm I'm sort of thinking out loud here, but I just feel like it touched on a lot of things that I've been yeah. contemplating. And um, God gives us free will it, and allows atheists to be atheists mm-hmm. and allows agnostics to be agnostics, allows people to be of all different faiths, Buddhism, whatever. Mm-hmm. He invites all but not everyone accepts the invitation or believes the invitation. Yeah, he says that a person is more liberal for believing in miracles in the freedom of the soul Mm. and that that is true freedom rather than trying to, um, I don't know, do anything to contradict what, what the church teaches. Just the idea of romance and like freedom... And Christianity being a story, mm. you know, he, he talks a lot about that, how it's like a story is romantic or exciting or adventurous because it could go either way. Yeah. Like, you know, there's there's not this determined end, you yes. know, but there's something like what is the author going to do? We don't know. You know, like we don't we don't know what the char- what yes. choices the characters are going to make until we get to the end. And there's this this danger in that. But there's an excitement yeah. in that, you know, yeah. um, everything sort of falls flat when there's no more freedom. And yes. what did you think? Uh, maybe I'm I'm skipping ahead. So if you had no, no, go ahead. Don't. Um, but he I thought it was really interesting that he starts to kind of talk about um, the idea of salvation and like uh, not universalism as such, but the whole like, yeah, monotheism thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But, but also like, dare we hope that all would be saved? Oh, like he mentioned, yes, he mentions that, which I was kind of surprised about, um, you know, because there's, there's a lot of in the Christian world, there's a lot of sort of contention around like that idea yeah but um, well I love did you have something more to say about that or yeah do you want me to jump in because I have a whole thing I'll, I'll make one comment about what my thought was okay. on that I I, th- I liked the way he said it and I'm actually I'm trying to find the text to have it in front of me but um he Chesterton has such an understanding of how beloved we all are by God like God created us mm. he loves us all he desires us all for himself and I feel like in how he said how he said it in this chapter, which was that like we must hope that all will be saved, mm-hmm. because how can we hope for anything else? We're all beloved mm-hmm. children of God. Um, mm-hmm. And after you say what you want to say, maybe we can roll into talking about the difference between the Buddhist saint and the martyr. Yes, yes, I definitely want to okay. talk about that. Um, but yeah, I just, I just in our discussion of free will, I thought that this kind of flowed, um, this, yeah, this, this sort of holding these two things in tension that God, we believe as Christians, as Catholics, that God created us all to be saved. Like Mm. that God wants us to be in union with him, that that is like truly the desire of his heart that we would all be, Mm. you know, saved. Um, at the same time, because we have free will, there has to be a possibility for us to choose against that. Mm. Um, And so because of that, there is in a way a danger. Um, We have to always kind of hold that practically at the forefront of our lives. Um, Let me see if I can pull something out of here. To hope for all souls is imperative, and it is quite tenable that their salvation is inevitable. It is tenable, but it is not specifically favorable to activity or progress. Mm. 
Our fighting and creative society ought rather to insist on the danger of everybody, on the fact that every man is hanging by a thread or clinging to a precipice. To say that all will be well anyhow is a comprehensible remark, but it cannot be called a blast of a trumpet. Europe ought rather to emphasize possible perdition, and Europe always has emphasized it. Mm. Um, Here, its highest religion is one with all its cheapest romances. (laughs) So just this idea that like, Christians are the ones who write all these romances. Yes. (laughs) It's like, it's because we have this idea of danger and, and there is a real danger, you know? Um, and if, if it wasn't real, it wouldn't be romantic. If it wasn't real, it wouldn't mean anything. You know, there has to be a possibility of hell. Um, but on the practical level in your day to day life, um, it's like, although you would hope for the salvation of all and you would even, I, I don't want to go as far as to say expect it. You know what I mean? Um, no. Yeah. Practically speaking, you have to fear in a sense, you know, like not yes. in a oppressive Approach way, your but salvation like in a real with way. fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. Yeah. Right. As Paul says. And so it's like there's this reality. And it, it just it made me laugh because when I read this section, I was first of all shocked that he was talking about it. I don't know why I was shocked <laughs> that he was talking about it, um, but I wasn't <laughs> expecting it, you know, from Chesterton. Um, but... I, it reminded me of a conversation I had after RCIA with uh, one of my friends the other day who's a historical theologian. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned something in, in class where he kind of like uh, mentioned the the topic or whatever, but then pulled back and said, like, I'm not going to tell you what I think about it. Uh-huh. And so afterwards, I was having a beer with him uh, later that night. And I was like, hey, um, I want to know what you actually think. And he's like, I don't know. It's kind of idiosyncratic. Like, it's kind of weird. It's kind of different. Like, I don't know if, if it's if it's just like way out there or whatever. And I was like, well, tell me, tell me what you think. And he's like, well, generally, I have like great optimism mm. for for humanity and like the the hope you know Mm. that people will be saved you know that a lot of people will be saved um he's like but personally in my own life I uh have a great fear Mm. of hell for myself (laughs) you know and he's like this wonderful person and you know practicing Christian and all this kind of stuff um and I was like that's not weird at all. Like, I feel like that's how I generally Mm. operate or generally feel. And I feel like that's what Chesterton's saying too, that in general, it would make sense in some way that God could save all, you know, Mm. but in the practical application of our faith and the day-to-day life in our own personal lives, Mm. um, there has to be the very real possibility mm. of damnation, you yeah. know, in order for us to choose love, yeah. to choose God, you know, to have that freedom of relationship. I don't know if this is making any no, sense, but it, it just I thought it was really interesting that we had just had this conversation yeah. about this very topic. And we both kind of, I think, mm. came down on the same side as Chesterton. <laughs> in that. I guess I'm, I have a serious look on my face because it's something that I'd like to think about more, but, um, Mm. yeah, I think I don't, I don't know where I fall on that. I think Jesus Christ has already done everything to save us. And, Mm. um, you know, it's a matter of us saying yes to him and, um, continually saying yes throughout our whole lives. Yeah. And, and like you're saying, it's that, it is requiring a very real and free yes yes and a continual yes to that salvation mm-hmm. and it requires it because it there is a possibility to say no yes you know and that's dangerous yeah. and terrifying yeah. you know what i mean that like it's possible for me to reject that you know yeah Um, and so there is a real danger and we can't speak as if, and I think this is what Chesterton is trying to say. We can't go around speaking as if like, oh, it's fine. Everyone will be saved. Like Mm -hmm. the Lord will just, Mm -hmm. you know, save everyone and everything will be great. It's like, well, no, we can't believe that as Christians. Um, because again, if that were the case, it would be very easy for us to slip into the laziness of like, no. Well, and why is there a, why would there be any need for us to have a conversion or to come yeah. to him if we didn't have to literally do anything in order to cooperate mm. in our salvation. Um, yeah. And a real relationship requires freedom. It requires a choice. And I think that's what 
God is calling us into. Um, yeah. And, and that's romantic. Yeah, it is. You know? It is. I want yeah. to, um, on the uh, now that you've said the word romance, I want to go into <laughs> um, something else that's very interesting that he talks about, which is the Trinity. And yes. he talks about how many people believe that um, God is one person, not three persons, the Trinitarian God. Mm. And, you know, something that we believe as Trinitarian Christians is that um, the love of God was possible because it was from before all of time, since forever, um, God was loving himself um, through the communion of the the Trinity, the three persons of the Trinity, um, and that mm. love was possible because there were people to love, you know, so mm. that this love existed before God created us and loved us into existence. Mm. Um, but love is the ground of creation, not something that came as a creation. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Love has always yeah. existed as long as God has existed. So for all eternity. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's, this is such a, I don't know, this this part of the chapter made me tear up several times because mm. it's, you know, he's talking about romance and adventure, but he's also talking about like the greatest love story. And if the person who made us, the, if God made us um, and he is love itself and he's always been loving and creating and existing and he made us for love, then he truly is offering us the greatest romance, the greatest love story. And mm. I have a deep, deep desire of my heart to be a part of a great love story. Um, mm. I'm curious as to what your, your thoughts were on that section about the Trinity and, um, and kind of like what that, that love story is. Yeah. I, I want to sort of, I guess, let me see where this is back up a little bit sure. as he's like preparing for it a couple of pages beforehand. Um, he talks about the sort of like this, this idea of the sword of Christianity, which or the sword of Christ, which divides and yet um, brings, allows us to be brought together in love mm. Um, and he talks about this idea that in order to love something, it has to be something other than yourself. You. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like there has to be another. Yes. Um, and in the Trinity, it's like this really interesting concept because unlike us human beings, like the Trinity is totally one. One like God. One nature. And yet there are these distinct persons like within the Trinity. Yeah. Um, so it's not saying like. God is one person who loves himself. It's saying God is one, but there's these three distinct persons um, who love. And with us, um, he says something that I really liked. Um, he says, uh, Mrs. Bassant, I guess that's how you say it. Um, her thoughtful and suggestive description of the religion in which all men must find themselves in agreement. Um, Oh, let's see. Before that, she says, if I may put it so, she does not tell us to love our neighbors. She tells us to be our neighbors. Mm. So like we love ourselves. Mm. And he says, I never heard of any suggestion in my life with which I more violently disagree. <laughs> I want to love my neighbor, not because he is I, but precisely because he is not I. Mm. I want to adore the world, not as one likes a looking glass because it's oneself, mm. but as one loves a woman because she is entirely different. Mm. Um, it's being able to see the other as other yes. um, that allows us to love them. He says later, uh, love desires personality and something <laughs> is distinct from yourself. I love that. You know, you don't want to look at yourself mm -hmm. like in the other person so completely that there's nothing different and exciting and romantic yes. like about that person. It's like, no, like you want it to be different yes. um and are distinct at least in in some very clear way and um yes yeah i just thought that that was so great that the whole idea you know he's talking about like buddhism and christianity and, and the difference between the two and he's like one is so inward focused uh -huh. 
And the other is so outward focused, yes. like the Christian icons with their wide eyes and they're like looking out and the Buddhist icons with their closed eyes, like looking in. in. Yes. And he's saying like, no, this is the distinction. Yeah. Like this is the difference. He's not, he's like, you know, people will claim that Christianity and Buddhism at the heart are the same thing. And he's like, no, on the outside, they're the same thing, but at the heart, yes. they're completely different. Yes. Like they're, they're totally different. And the whole idea is this Trinitarian God, yeah. you know, and even in speaking of, you know, Islam is like, okay, you have this idea of one God and on some level we have that in common, mm. you know, which is true. But at the heart of it, like, what do we mean by this one God? It's totally different. Yes. Um, and he's arguing that the, the only oneness of God, like if God is only one, but not three. Yeah that oppression comes out of that. Yes. Um, but if God is three and there has to be a relationship of love within God mm. and an outpouring, mm. not an, like an inward focus, but an outpouring, yes. um, that the opposite of oppression flows from. Yes. That. Yes, exactly. I'd like to, um, um, call our attention to what God says in Genesis, which is, it is not good for man to be alone when mm. he creates Eve for the man, for Adam. Um, and then I'd like to just read quickly from, this is from the section that Grace is, is specifically talking about. Um, for Western religion has always felt keenly the idea, it is not well for man to be alone. And then a little later he says, Suffice it to say here that this triple enigma is as comforting as wine and as open as an English fireside. Mm. I first of all just love that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> that this thing that bewilders the intellect utterly quiets the heart, but out of the desert from the dry places and the dreadful suns come the cruel children of the lonely God, the real Unitarians, who with scimitar in hand have laid waste to the world. For it is not well for God to be alone. And this is the oppression that Grace was just talking about. When when we try in our human way to limit God to say that he is just one person, um, it deeply contradicts what he says in Genesis, what God himself gave us in his divine word, which is that it is not good for man to be alone. And why does God know that? Because he himself is not alone. And I love yeah. that line from Chesterton, for it is not well for God to be alone. Like this is a mm. creative and loving God from all eternity. He is not alone. Yeah. And he doesn't yeah, leave us think, alone. I think that, I don't know if it's Chesterton that talked about this earlier. Like I know there was some chapters where he was talking about paganism and he was talking about how there's like some, some truth in that. Um, this maybe it's not him. I, maybe I heard it somewhere else, but this idea that the idea of many gods, like how, how various, um, religions, you know, in the early days of the world have this idea that there are many gods mm. like that, that on some level makes sense. You know what I mean? That it would make sense that if human beings are in this relationship to one another and are made to be in this relationship and have this deep desire for relationship, for security, for family, for, oh, yeah. you know, for love, that it would make sense that God, the gods would be the gods. You yeah. Know? And Christianity does this really miraculous and interesting thing that it's like okay no god is one there's one source of all being there's one source of everything but god within himself is a community mm, but mm. it's not a community that is a human community like i think the pagan gods more uh it was more like the gods were made in the image of man right but in this sense like man is ma truly made in the image of god yes who is a community more intense and more profound than even we could mm. experience mm. as human beings. I don't know if that's making any yes. sense, but, um, yes. Yeah. Like there's, there's a community. Yes. But it's a totally united community, not one of argument and division and oppression. Yeah. And I love this chapter very much. Um, yes. Was there anything, I, was there another point you wanted to get to before we wrap up? The last thing is just the quote that we, yes. Yeah. Let's about touch on that. Um, which I chose as the quote for this chapter because it was the thing, a lot of things in this chapter were extremely profound and I loved reading them, but this was the one that hit me like a ton of bricks when I read it. Um, and I think maybe it 
is I actually I know for sure that it's because I've been going through some things the last couple of weeks in which I've really struggled um, just like spiritually speaking and emotionally speaking. And so when I read this, it was like, oh, my gosh, like this makes sense to me Mm -hmm. on a new level um, than I had really considered it before. Okay, so on let's see am i i have the ignatius press version it's on page 145 and it's pretty much the whole page um just this idea that god the god of christianity would be at once a king so i think there you see like this oneness of god or whatever but then also god would be a rebel Mm. um that there would be a relationship that there's something in in this idea of like rebelling against oppression, mm. you know, rebelling against um, anything like that. Anyway, so he talks about how God comes down, is incarnate, and experiences the depths of human suffering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, we read the quote at the beginning, but he says, um, Christianity alone has felt that God to be holy God must have been a rebel as well as a king alone of all creeds. Christianity has added courage to the virtues of the creator. And that just really struck me because I was like, that's so true. If God is all powerful, which he is, but if he's only all powerful and he's not incarnate and he doesn't know what Mm. it means to be human, then courage is not a natural attribute of God like why would God have to be courageous like God has has all this power and so why does Christianity emphasize courage so much and there's this idea that um you know for the only he says for the only courage worth calling courage must necessarily mean that the soul passes a breaking point and does not break God comes into our suffering and he experiences it himself and then as Chesterton says God seemed for an instant to be an atheist Mm. when he cries out from the cross, like, Mm. my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And it's like God speaking to himself, Jesus, God speaking to himself. Um, And it, I, I mean, Chesterton himself says in this passage, like there's not words fail Yeah, (laughs) at this point. Like I can't even like explain it in a way that makes sense. It's kind of like read it and get it or not. I don't know. (laughs) Do you have anything? No, I, the only thing I'll add is that I loved this because he is saying to atheists, if you want someone, uh, if you want a divine someone to understand your isolation, to understand your Mm. aloneness and your feelings of your anger at oppression, yes, frustration at the brokenness of the world, it's like this is the only God who ever experienced that this is only god who humbles himself to experience your isolation and i thought that was so Mm. beautiful so beautiful so beautiful in a garden satan tempted man in a garden god tempted god he passed in some superhuman manner through our human horror of pessimism Mm. like he knows what it's like to be in that place Um, and i just i think that 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 image was so vivid because I was literally in a church two weeks ago. No one was there except for me and Jesus. And I was literally screaming and crying <laughs> at the tabernacle. And like, I, I just was like, wow, like God's been there. Like, yes. <laughs> like God has screamed at God, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like that. He's felt that your agony and something. your isolation yeah. and your, yeah. And like, that touches something so much deeper than any other proposed God or religion ever could. Mm. And like, that's why, yeah, Christianity makes sense only because of the cross, you Mm. know, and then the subsequent resurrection, you know, it doesn't leave us there. It's like, there's a movement out of that place to the life that we were created for, you know? Um, But yeah, I don't think I have anything else to say. I feel like that's, that's a gorgeous note to end this podcast on. I love <laughs> it. Okay. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Um, folks, we are heading into the very last chapter of this book. Finally, thank you for coming Yay. on this long journey with us. Um, <laughs> yeah. So next week we'll finish up and um, read chapter nine and we hope you join us as usual. Chapter nine is um, authority and the adventurer. Um, as usual, 
You can find us in all of our various places. We are on Instagram at Pints with Chesterton. Our website is pintswithchesterton.com and our email is pintswithchesterton at gmail.com. I guess a moment of gratitude, Grace, quickly before we do (laughs) run off. Yeah, I'll just say like I have experienced such a blessing of great friends in the last couple of weeks. I feel like I there's speaking about like we were of this community, this necessity of community for us as human beings Mm. that um, we can feel in our in our suffering, our sadness, like this turning in on ourselves, Mm. this isolation. Um, But when we are able to open up um, other people at least in my experience, and I know that I'm so blessed for this, and this is my gratitude, um, is that other people kind of rush in and like can help and can comfort and can understand and listen. And I just, I've felt that so strongly. Um, and it reminded me of uh, a friend that I had a long time ago who once told me that I was like George Bailey from <laughs> A Wonderful Life. I love um, it. Because George Bailey is just this guy who just kind of keeps on keeping on, you know, even though like there's disappointments that he experiences throughout his life. And then at one point he kind of holds it all in though, and he doesn't like talk to anybody about it. And then at the end he kind of breaks down. And that's the whole point of the movie is him kind of getting to this breaking point um but it's only at the breaking point when people realize that he's in trouble that all of a sudden all these people just literally come out of the woodwork the to entire like support town him and help yeah. him and love yeah him. yeah and it's like i i've just felt like that this week and i i had this um i had this realization the other day I, I remembered my friend saying that to me like gosh over 10 years ago and i just laughed out loud because i was like oh my gosh mm. lord you're so good like you bless me with all of these people who love me so well and i have been too prideful to be vulnerable enough to ask for help Mm. you know and um and I'm just so grateful for that well I'm not gonna even add anything I'm just gonna say cheers to friendship because yeah (laughs) yeah I'm very grateful for for my friends and family indeed okay well may you all enjoy lives of wit and whimsy cheers cheers cheers